Hey everyone, welcome to the Torn ACL Recovery Podcast. My name is Chris Arnold, and this is a short series podcast that follows my personal journey from ACL injury back to full strength. In it, I discuss the ups, downs, and everything in between in the days, weeks, and months after surgery. Hopefully this will help you in your own process to getting well after injury. Thanks for listening. Welcome to a special edition of the Torn ACL Recovery Podcast. On this episode, we're going to go over cycling and how you can use cycling as a rehab protocol for your physical therapy and for your rehab efforts after ACL surgery. Uh, This could also be used for those of you who are uh, pre-op, kind of doing pre-op exercises and physical therapy. This would absolutely work in those cases as well something that I did before my surgery uh, too. So um, if you're interested in using cycling as a means to supplement and to help strengthen your knee before and after surgery, stick around. I'd love to uh, kind of talk to you about what I'm doing and how the program works. So first things first, what I want to touch on here is that cycling um, has long been pointed to as a great way to rehab after a knee injury. Um, I don't need to go into all of the reasons why and all the specifics why, but in a nutshell, right, it allows you to um, continuously work on range of range of motion. It allows you to sort of work through some of the pain thresholds and some of the physical therapy related thresholds that we come against um, before surgery and certainly after surgery. Uh, for me, thankfully, if you want to call it thankfully, I you know I was a cyclist. I am a cyclist before my knee injury, and so on that kind of semi-competitive level at times, uh, that that mindset sort of kicked in for me while I was thinking about my recovery process and what it was gonna look like. And I decided, why can't I just create some sort of program for my own ACL rehab purposes? So what I wanna talk about in this episode is kind of an overview of Watts-based training, what you'll need to start rehab uh, with some product recommendations, Uh, kind of the overview of what cycling rehab means or what I mean when I'm talking about cycling rehab. One of the bigger pieces of this puzzle is understanding baseline power. And so we're going to talk about how you could potentially find your power. And this is a very uh, roughly speaking, finding your power um, segment of this conversation. So I want to note that kind of up front. And then I want to get into some of the rehab guidelines, let you know where you can download this program um, and just jump into some uh, frequently asked questions. So this this episode might be a little longer than some of the typical episodes, but there's a there's a fair amount to cover. So I'm going to try to try to do that without getting too gassed here. So first things first, what I think, in my personal opinion, is that when you hop on a trainer at a gym or when you hop on a trainer at your physical therapist's office, you're not going to really have a great sense of how you're doing. So you know you might be on tension setting three, and then in two weeks you're on tension setting four, or whatever those fairly intangible markers are, you're still going to be sitting there spinning on a trainer relatively slowly, or maybe a little bit more quickly if you're working on cadence um, on that, you know, on that particular day. But really what I think is that watts really gauge improvement. And so what I mean by that is watts are essentially a way to, to measure your power output on a bicycle. And there's really no difference between 
um, watts in terms of a, of a unit of energy, of a unit of, of power in that sense of electricity, um, as it compares to the, the level of output that you're putting through the pedals on your bicycle. And so one of the kind of you know really interesting things to me and one of the most exciting things to me is that you know once you move through those first couple of weeks of rehab, the day-to-day starts to get pretty slow in terms of recovery staples. You know, how, you know, what can I point to as being a staple of improvement? You know, day over day, it's so quick in the, in the early stages of recovery. I, I, I knew kind of right away that as the weeks and the months started to pass, I needed a way to mark and to measure my improvement with something more than kind of how I'm feeling that day. Because day over day, I certainly feel good some days, okay some days, great other days, and there's really no way for me to hop on a bike and ride to sort of how I feel that day. I'd rather ride to a number and to a, and to a watt number um, that really kind of keeps, keeps me to where I need to be for that week. So let me just back up and say, if you're on a bicycle and you're generating zero watts, that essentially means that you're on the bike for maybe the first time after surgery or maybe the first few times after you've torn your ACL. You're really putting you know, no effort or energy uh, through the pedals. You're just trying to do a single revolution without your knee kind of screaming at you. So that's, that's essentially zero watts or no power. Uh, for me, for example, when I hopped on the bike for the first time, really trying to look at watts after my surgery. This was about, I would say about two weeks after surgery, I was generating zero watts. I had no power. I had little to no strength to really move the pedals around on the bicycle. And that was a huge disappointment, but I knew that that was the ground level, right? So on the under, uh, excuse me, on the other end of the spectrum, a recreational cyclist, and I, and I mentioned this in the, the associated uh, blog post with this podcast, but a recreational cyclist might be out with some friends doing a ride and they might you know, want to sprint up a small hill or a small local climb and kind of get over the top before their friends. And so let's say that rider gets up out of the saddle and they sprint as hard as they can and they get over the crest and they look back at their friends and they have bragging rights. Well, they might have generated, let's say, 600 watts of power during that short sprint effort to get over the top of that little climb. And you know, I have no idea exactly what that effort would be because it depends on a lot of factors, but you get where I'm headed there, you know, from zero watts to no power to 600 watts, you know, full on strength on a rec- uh, at a recreational cyclist level. That's kind of what I'm talking about in terms of, of watts. So once you begin measuring your watts, you can begin to measure your improvement on the bike and throughout rehab. And so what do you need to actually accomplish this at a, at a home gym or kind of a, a extra bedroom level? You know, what is that setup? So number one, obviously you'll need a bike. I use a road bike on my trainer. Um, I've seen some people find success with hooking up a hybrid bike on a trainer as well, but I really would advise you to stay away from trying to hook up your mountain bike um, onto a trainer. I haven't seen that done all that well. Um, you might, if, if that's your only option, I would say look into it. Definitely, you're going to want to get a replacement rear tire that works for trainers. Um, you're going to need a, a smart trainer as well, which I'll talk about that um, in a minute. And this is actually a good point to, to say 
Um, good time to point out that other cycling equ equipment, such as you know airdynes or assault bikes that you might see at your local gym, those are not recommended, and and they're not recommended because they don't gauge watts effectively or really as purely as a smart trainer will with a bike attached to it. I can go to my CrossFit gym and hop on an assault bike, and even now, you know, jump on and start just just running my, you know, running my legs and my arms off on that thing. And I'll be generating four or five, 600 Watts. And that's just not, that's not the reality of, of true Watt measurement when you're just using your legs and you're kind of in a, a more of a road bike situation. So I would have, I would advise against that. You also can't adjust the settings uh, on those, on those types of uh, pieces, or excuse me, on those pieces of equipment. So you'll really need to work with a system. And again, I'm kind of going back to smart trainer, uh, smartphone setup so that you can actually adjust the settings at a specific level um, to keep yourself at a certain at a certain level of watts throughout your workout. So that being said, you'll need a bike, you'll need a smart trainer and a smartphone. And what makes a what makes a smart trainer smart? What makes a smartphone smart? Smartphones or any of our modern devices, you know, iPhone, iPhones, newer Android devices, all of those are smartphones. When you're when you're browsing the, the internet, when you're downloading apps, those are smartphones. You know, I'm sure 99% of you have those, so you're good there. But you will also need a smart trainer, and a smart trainer is essentially a, a trainer that you would see kind of any any other place, you know, in your life. I'm sure you've come across a, a bike on a trainer before, but what makes it smart is that it actually communicates. It has a various pieces of technology, depending on the level or the, the build quality, uh, that it gives it the, uh, the ability to communicate with you know, your cell phone, the ability to communicate with a computer. So it really has uh, kind of limitless possibilities for how you can use it to train. And therefore, when it communicates to your phone or to your computer, in this case, we're talking about the phone, um, it can communicate back and forth. So as you're making fine-tuned adjustments with your phone as you're on your bike, the trainer is then communicating with that device and saying, okay, you know, we're increasing or we're de decreasing resistance or that watt, that watt level that we're trying to hold you to at this point. Now, you might be asking what kind of smart trainers are out there. Of course, there's quite a few from budget trainers to what I call kind of luxury models that you really don't need. Um, I'll just go over a couple here in this podcast, but, but really check out the website, uh, take a look at the different models. And what it comes down to is we're really talking about price ranges. So budget trainers are usually up to 300 to 350 bucks. Um, they have they have a smaller and typically a louder flywheel, which is the the piece of the device that actually connects and and puts pressure on your rear tire. So you know if you're at all concerned with um, noise and you want to keep the noise down, or you want something that ha that has a little bit more substance to it, I would recommend against the budget trainers. Um, budget trainers have a li limited range in terms of, you know, the percent gradient that they can recreate um, for efforts. Um, they also have a lower amount of watts that they can actually handle. So, you know, some might top out at seven or eight hundred watts. And if you're someone that um, is already a cyclist or thinks that you want to get into cycling, you know, I'd recommend staying away from budget trainers. However, if you're someone who just wants to use a trainer as a way to rehab for, for uh, your knee and use cycling as a as a means to just rehab and then afterwards you're going to kind of ditch cycling you might want to you know just sell your trainer i would recommend taking a look at the budget trainers uh, i think that would be a good use case for sticking with 
more of a more of a price decision over maybe overall quality of build decision. If you happen to be like me and you're maybe a little bit more into cycling or you think that you might stick with cycling after some time, I would recommend the mid-range trainers. Those kind of run you up in the five to $600 range. They are more powerful. They can comfortably handle more power output, more power given to them. Uh, and their flexibility is just markedly different and better than the budget level trainers. Uh, beyond that, you kind of get into the high-end trainers, which I think, again, are kind of luxury in this space. If you want to spend seven, eight, nine hundred dollars over a thousand dollars on a trainer, you're, you're, you're probably an experienced cyclist, semi-pro cyclist, and that's really not what this um, information is about. So I'm not going to really cover that in this podcast. So of the budget trainers, you know, I would start looking at some models by TACX and Kurt Kinetic uh, for mid-range options. The Wahoo Kicker Snap is a great one. Cycleops has a has a great one called the Magnus. And then there's another TACX Vortex model that I've listed on my website. So feel free to jump in. All of those are smart trainers. All of them will kind of get you to where you need to be in terms of getting into a program for your rehab. Um, if you are someone who likes to deep dive, go right into the weeds, I am myself. I have a link in my post about this protocol, this program from a website called DC Rainmaker, which on his website, what you'll find is basically a deep dive into all of the smart trainers available. Um, he offers a lot of good insight, a lot of good considerations. So feel free to check that out as well. In addition to a smart trainer and the use of your smartphone, I would also recommend that you get a heart rate monitor. Early on in my kind of cycling endeavors, I, I really didn't want any kind of devices on that I was looking at or worrying about, but I've really found that a heart, a heart rate monitor is essential in understanding what your body is doing on a particular day. Um, you know, I might go into a, a ride feeling great and then, you know, an hour later I'm you know, exhausted and I don't know why, or maybe I'm even just doing this ACL rehab cycling program and 15 minutes in, I'm feeling terrible. And if I look at my heart rate, generally there is that correlation between why I'm feeling bad and what my heart rate is doing. So, you know, it could be that I'm just on an off day or maybe I'm, you know, a little sick or it's been a, a long tiring day and I just need to kind of take it easy um, for that session. It's really helpful. Uh, it's not required, but I would just recommend it. It is a super helpful piece of information as you begin to get into these rides. Now, speaking of going into the weeds, I'm going to avoid going into the weeds about other home setup niceties, but on the website, tornacelrecoverypodcast.com, on the guide, I go into a handful of other uh, just products that I use that I think are nice, you know, simple things like where do I put my phone when I'm riding my bike and training? Um, where does the, all the sweat go when I'm training and I'm, you know, on the tail end of a workout and I'm sweating profusely? So all these little things that you don't really think about, I kind of made note of those. Feel free to check those out on the website. So in addition to some of these uh, main components, smartphone, smart trainer, heart rate monitor, You'll also need a training app, which is a free app that a lot of the main companies put out. Uh, there's one from TACX, Wahoo Fitness, uh, Kinetic Fit is another one. Uh, you may have also heard of uh, related programs or apps uh, like Strava, Zwift, uh, MapMyFitness. 
those those are more um, for when you're actually back on the road and you're kind of out there doing things in the real world. Um, what we're focusing on here, though, is kind of training in a gym or kind of in your own personal space. So what I use personally is the Wahoo Fitness training app. Um, it does a great job with communicating with my smart trainer, and it allows me to easily set the watts resistance that I want manually during my workout, throughout my workout, so I'm never second-guessing kind of where I am in the workout. So diving right in, the cycling rehab overview here. The trickiest part of this entire thing is that all of us are individuals, all of us are different sizes, heights, weights, etc. And in terms of ACL reconstruction surgery, the extent of the knee injury and the knee damage that we're talking about also varies wildly. So I, I need to be clear that this program is only a guide. I'm not your surgeon. I'm not your physical therapist. Please, please proceed with caution. Use common sense. We're all different. Don't do something without thinking about it first. Don't continue doing something if it's hurting in a bad hurting kind of way. Um, so for example, if you had a bone tendon bone graft, you know, you may have more anterior discomfort than I do um, after having a hamstring graft. So, you know, when you start this program versus when I started it, don't compare yourself to me or anyone else that you might meet on the internet or read about on the internet. Um, this is really meant to be a guide. So approach it um, with, a, with a good peace of mind and really take a step back if you have any questions before you get too deep into it. So the thing that we need to really get at first is understanding the baseline power number, uh, which is called the FTP, which is a functional threshold power term that is used in the cycling world. It basically allows us to figure out how can we sustain the most amount of power for the longest amount of time? What is that like functional power unit that each of us has on an individual level? So on a fundamental level, this is essentially the power to weight ratio that you've probably heard of before. So, you know, for me, if I weigh 170 pounds and I know that my FTP is around 240, 250 watts, then that means I'm around a three watt per kilogram unit. That is my FTP. That's my functional power that I'm able to, to output for a certain amount of time. Um, if you get really detailed about it, you know, there's, I've seen charts that show, you know, five minute FTPs, 10 minute, 20 minute, 30 minute FTPs. For the sake of this program, we're really going to kind of be focusing on that 10 to 20 minute range. You know, we're not going to the extremes, but we're also not going to keep it on the low end where you could probably get to after a couple of months of training. So there's a lot of data out there available that uh, kind of gives us more information about what this means. And I link to that information in the overview on the website. So again, read that as well. Read that as a compliment to this podcast, just so you can kind of wrap your head around everything. So um, in theory, what we want to do is find your power first, and there's going to be no way for us to really effectively do that after you've torn your ACL or after surgery. Sorry about that. There's just no way to sort of get an estimate um, because you just don't have the power that you had before the surgery. Um, but it but in my research, I came across essentially an old estimator post by Joe Friel, who is, a, is an athletic trainer who trains um, triathletes, I believe. And he kind of ran through a simple equation. I ran it for myself. For me, I thought it was kind of high. So I adjusted a few of the numbers downwards. 
um, to use as a starting point for this program. Essentially what happens is you multiply your body weight by 1.4. So for me, 170 pounds, that's an FTP of roughly 238 watts. We'll call it 240 watts. So for me, that's kind of in the ballpark and I'm okay with that. Um, some people will probably come in higher or lower. If you're someone who already knows what your FTP is, you may say, man, that's like way too high or that's crazy low. You know, that's fine. Adjust it for, you know, what is best for you up or down. Um, a couple other notes. If you're over 35 years old, you're going to be doing some subtraction 0.5% for every year beyond the age of 35. So if I was 50, I would subtract 7.5% from that FTP number of 240. And female riders, no matter what, you can also subtract an additional 10% from that estimated FTP. So depending on age range, depending on male, female, there are a couple additional calculations that you'll need to make. Again, this is all on the website. This is going to give you your FTP. And this is, think of it as your maximum sustained power number. If you're at zero today, we want to get you back to 240 FTP in my case. I want to, over the course of about three months, I want to get back to the point where I can hold 240 watts of power through my bicycle for about 10 minutes of time. And that's going to get me back to a baseline for where I used to be before the surgery. So for me, running all those calculations gets me back to my rough estimate. And for my, for my program, I'm going basically from zero to 240 over the course of about 12 weeks. So let's get into a few rehab guidelines. I'm gonna say this once more, I'm not your surgeon, I'm not your physical therapist, please don't do anything crazy. Use this as a guide, use this as a starting point. If you want to get into cycling to rehab your knee after ACL surgery, I highly recommend it. I think you're gonna find improved range of motion, faster improve improvements of your range of motion. Um, you'll find that it's a lot more lower impact on the knee joint, especially starting out in those first few sensitive weeks. Your quad and your calf are gonna strengthen a lot faster than they will with quad sets and calf raises. I've absolutely found that to be true. And you're also gonna to start to get more and more of that cardiovascular upside that you're not getting right now, kind of doing the more stationary and static exercises in physical therapy. So. In my post on the website, I also have a handful of critical, I call them critical because they really are a big deal, especially after a knee surgery, reminders for using cycling as, as a rehab device. Um, I'm covering things like saddle height, pedaling form. Um, for those of you that already ride a bike, you know, do I use clipless pedals or do I use flat pedals for a while? You know, there's some pretty important things to keep in mind as you get yourself set up for your home setup there. So take a look at the website. Those pieces of information are, are there for you, for you uh, to review and for your knowledge if you're kind of new to all this. Now, in addition to those reminders, I also have a link to download the program. Um, the way I set it up is an Excel document. So essentially, you're going to open it up. You're going to um, do some of your math that I talked about earlier, and then you're going to plug in your FTP number. Um, any other adjustments that you want to make, you can kind of make there in the top couple rows. You'll see that pretty clearly. And then what's going to happen is everything below from week one to week 12 is going to automatically update um, for your 
specific FTP number, and it's gonna break it down by percentage. So I'm actually grouping week one and two together, week three and four together, week five and six together, and so on and so forth. So out of those 12 weeks, we have six bundles of data that we're following. Now, the reason I did that is because, again, this is a guide. And so if you find that week one um, is really pretty easy, go ahead and increase some of the percentage points on week two and kind of see how you feel. Do it slowly, of course, but the reason I did it that way is so that you could have some movement up or down depending on how you're feeling that week. Heck, maybe you have a setback one week and you're just feeling a little bit more tired and you want to kind of reduce the, the strain and the, the effort that you're going to have to output on the bike. You can do that with this Excel document. So everything's going to kind of update automatically for you. If you get into the program and you have questions, feel free to take a look at the website again. There are a handful of frequently asked questions on the site already. Um, hopefully those will kind of cover some of the common questions that you might have that come up. Otherwise, feel free to reach out. And otherwise, you know, the biggest thing here, and this is where I'll end, is that sticking to a schedule for anything with physical therapy is going to be your number one guide to success, your number one key to success. Even though you have this cycling program, if you don't do it, then nothing's going to change in terms of your rehab, right? So what I recommend is that you sustain each week's effort three to four times a week. Um, that might be too much at first, but I really recommend trying to stick to it every other day and then maybe giving yourself two days off kind of at the end of a week. I personally cannot do this every day of the week, at least at this point in my rehab process. I am about two thirds of the way through the program and it's going great, but I know that doing it every day is too much. So on those off days, if I still wanted to get on the bike and, and do some spinning, which is what I do typically, I'll do you know little to no power resistance at all. Maybe I'll even be on an assault bike at a gym and kind of just kind of working on range of motion without any intense markers of watt-based training. So I'm just kind of free spinning, cadence is up. And then when I lock into the training program, I'm physically communicating to my trainer through my phone. Okay, for the next five minutes, I want this to be 50 watts. And then the five minutes after that, I'm gonna increase this to 100 watts. The five minutes after that, 150 watts. So the program is gonna stair-step you through these progressions week over week. You'll obviously be in complete control with your smartphone, communicating with your smart trainer. But the number one thing is stick to a schedule, use this as a guide. Hopefully this starting point is helpful for you and you can make great use of cycling for your ACL rehab. Thanks for joining me today. As always, you can visit tornaclrecoverypodcast.com for a complete list of all the podcasts and the guides, including this cycling guide. So as always, I wish you the best of luck in your own personal recovery process, and don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions.